but they planted some great seeds and they were great role models for me. Um, and they, you know, they allowed me to kind of go behind the curtain, open the hood, if you will, and see a little bit about how they became successful and some of the decisions that led to their ultimate success. Um, what I did not know at the time um, was the intersection of being neurodiverse, which I am. I have um, dyslexia and ADHD, and it was undiagnosed. It was undiagnosed until I was 34. Um, so you already <clears throat> gone to law school, graduated mm -hmm. from Spelman, graduated from Harvard, and then you find out mm -hmm. that you have dyslexia. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Keep going. How, so, that's an amazing story. Well, and, and, and it's amazing because when I looked back and I was able to put all the pieces together and connect the dots, there were a lot of aha moments. Um, I didn't pass first grade because I couldn't read and I couldn't do math. Um, and by the grace of God, my two sisters were extremely smart and my mother was very aggressive and very assertive. And so they made an agreement with the school, with the elementary school, that I could go to the second grade if I had a tutor all summer. And so I think during that summer, I don't really think that I learned a, a technique for learning how to read. I just said to myself, okay, my dad dropped me off here and he dropped my sisters off at the bus going to Girl Scout camp. Mm -hmm. This is not going to be my whole summer. Right. So I think I'm I, not missing I, camp. I'm, I'm not, not missing, missing all camp the, the whole summer. Hey, geniuses, and welcome to the show. Hey, genius, make the connection. I am your host, Dr. Jeannie Snyder. Each week, we bring in genius guests who are going to share with us a little bit about their genius and how they inspire the genius in others. So I invite you to relax here on our podcast couch, take a few minutes, and you're about to meet our genius guest of the day, Melanie Cook. Melanie is the CEO of Veritas Management Group. Melanie is an attorney by trade, and she brings her expertise into the work that they do in public health with Veritas. But she has had many intersections in life, a Spelman College graduate, a Harvard Law graduate. Her legal expertise, her knowledge of people, her management expertise brings it all to the table. But her conversations about how her life of dreams and her preparation for that have brought her to this point as a successful businesswoman. But you're also going to hear how she wanted to be a DJ originally, and that is all part of the story and part of her genius. So she is a CEO, she is a speaker, she is an author, and it is so exciting today to introduce to you, for you to meet on our podcast couch, Melanie Cook, CEO, Veritas Management Group. And as always, we invite you to subscribe, like, and comment on our show, Hey Genius. If you have a few extra minutes, we'd love a little extra love, and you can write a review of our show wherever you watch or listen to your podcast. Hey Geniuses, and welcome to the Hey Genius Show. I am Jeannie Snyder, your host, and I am so excited today to introduce Melanie Cook. She is the founder and CEO of Veritas Management Group. And I want to dive right into our conversation because we have so many great connections to cover. So Jeannie, just step right into the studio with us and I'd like to introduce you to Melanie Cook. Hi, Melanie. Hi, Jeannie. How are you? I am great. And Good. I'm so glad you're here. And I just, I have to go ahead and jump in with this question. Sure. How are we connected? We always talk on Hey Genius and in everything that we do with the Genius team about 
connections. How in the world do we know each other and where did we first connect? Well, our parents were best friends. Yes. So it's really hard to pinpoint a specific date that we were friends. <laughs> probably since we were I larva. Was, yes. <laughs> exactly. Um, and I think, but I think as adults, we came together um, when you recommended that I become a member of the Georgia College and State University board. Yes, I mean, uh, forgot about that Exactly, part. exactly. And so you kind of, you, you role modeled me then. Aww. Um, and I really appreciate that. And since that time, we have just connected professionally. I saw you at Chastain Park one day. <laughs> right. And we keep threatening to do that again. Um, so our intersections have just been wonderful. But so we have our parents to really thank for the friendship. We do. We do. So they were friends first, and then we grew up together, mm -hmm. um, always together. But I do love the the continual mm -hmm. connections at Absolutely. all different stages mm -hmm. of life. And now you are um, in management consulting, I'm in management consulting, business consulting, all the things. So we want to talk about how we continually have those connections. Okay. And I know that connections are important to you. Mm -hmm. The woman knows everyone. Yeah. And so... <laughs> Um, I want, we, that was that was evident when mm -hmm. we were just in D.C. together mm -hmm. just a few months ago. Yes. You pulled a crowd together um, for a really special mm -hmm. uh, celebration. What was that? Mm -hmm. So we were celebrating the fact that my sister had been installed as the first African-American woman to sit on the Federal Reserve Board as a governor of the Federal Reserve Board. Yes. And we were celebrating that just monumentous event. It was. Dr. Mm -hmm. Lisa D. Cook now serves on our Federal Reserve Board. She's very busy right now. Yes. A little too <laughs> so, busy if you ask me, but, but that's in, okay. In bringing <laughs> all of those folks together, what, what I saw in that was you, you brought all parts of yours and your sister's lives mm -hmm. together um, and celebrated those. Mm -hmm. And I see you making those connections in all kinds of directions. We, we also talk in this show about different intersections in life. You have not done the same thing your whole life. No. So what did you, um, I want to talk about a particular intersection in life, but first tell us a little bit about what did you do first? Like what did you go to school to do? <laughs> and tell us a little bit about that sure. background. So originally when I was growing up, I wanted to be a DJ or a reporter. Okay, a now reporter. I did not know this. Exactly. A DJ or a reporter. Right, right. Two very different things. Very different things. Okay. Um, and interestingly, <laughs> I wanted to be a DJ first because that's all I could see in Milledgeville. We didn't have any reporters because there were no TV stations in Milledgeville. True. We so always had to watch the Megan News. Right. So it's very true that sometimes you dream as much as you can see. And so my mother hearing that, my mother and my father, they started to expose me to other things. And so I started thinking about, okay, well, actually, I like the reporter part. And I used to tell my mom, well, you won't have to worry about where I am because I'll be on the 6 o'clock news and you'll be able to see me every night. Um, How old were you when you first realized that? Um, when you well, got serious about the reporter? Well, career? interestingly, um, when I was growing up, people would always ask, you know, what do you what do you like to do? What do you want to do when you grow up? And I used to like to talk, and that's you know, but I didn't want to. <laughs> we you have know, that in common, yeah. folks. Yes. <laughs> and I felt like, okay, I need to say something a little bit more professional. So that's when the DJ part came up and the reporter part came up. Um, but I kind of made a pivot in when, my first year in at Spelman. Um, because at that time, I'm kind of dating myself, but at that time, the Iranian hostage crisis was going on, and some reporters were part of the folks that had been kidnapped. And so 
Um, my mother kind of got really scared about that. But of course, as a, you know, as a young person, I was like, they're not going to kidnap me. If they kidnap me, I'll talk my way out of it. So that didn't really, <laughs> that really didn't deter me. Uh, okay, not afraid of kidnapping, <laughs> No, I wasn't afraid okay. of kidnapping um, because I didn't think I would be kidnapped. Mm-hmm. And so um, I guess when she realized that that wasn't going to work, she kept piling things on <laughs> and things that just did not really deter me until she said, well, I said something about, you know, taking over whoever was the CBS evening reporter, um, maybe Dan Rather, the anchor. And you I said, going to oh, be next after Dan Rather. Absolutely. I got it. And so she said, well, you're probably going to have to start in, you know, a small little town. And, you know, so I said, OK, well, that's not bad. You know, I'll do that. And then I'll move to New York. Right. But then what she really got me with was the amount of money that she thought that I would make. And she said, well, you know, you're probably going to start out making about $19,000. I was like, there is no way. <laughs> I am going to college to come out to make $19,000. And so that's really what kind of started me thinking, hmm, maybe I should look at something else. That is hilarious. <laughs> and the DJ part, what, what drew you to the original DJ direction? Because I want to know how these two came well, together. pretty much because at that point, DJs weren't really spinning records. It wasn't like a DJ at a, um, at a party. Yes. It was a DJ on the radio, and they were mainly talking. Oh, right. And a little bit of music, and I love music. Um, so it was a really the intersection of two things that I really liked, music and talking and talking to people. <laughs> so <laughs> I love it. So so that's the that's the origin of, of of how I got to go to law school. And ironically, I didn't really you know, my mother was really undercover about what she was doing. Right. So um, Mary was I very good at that. She was that very undercover. good at that. She was still. Yeah. But she revealed herself because as soon as I said I wanted to go to law school, she popped me in a car, drove me to Barnes and Noble, and we bought a law school admissions test prep book as a freshman in college. <laughs> and so, so she I, was just waiting for you to come around and get to, to the around. decision. Absolutely, absolutely. Hilarious. So then I, you know, I kind of sunk my teeth into wanting to go to law school at that point, um, and I started looking around um, while I was at Spelman as a sophomore. We had a chance to go to New York, a bunch of folks who were interested in law, and we got a chance to see different lawyers. Um, we saw a, um, a lawyer that was working for NBC. We met with a judge, um, Constance Baker Motley. That was just yes. amazing. Um, we also got a chance to meet with um, defense counsel, and we just saw all these different types of things. Mm-hmm. I could tell that the courtroom piece was not for me. Got it. Um, I like to debate, but it, just for whatever reason, it just did not resonate with me. But what resonated with me was, was the business part. We met two business lawyers, the one for NBC and another woman who was doing railroad um, work at the time um, in private practice up in Harlem. And so those two people kind of encouraged me, looking at them encouraged me to want to um, pursue my business interest as it related to law. So applied to a bunch of law schools. Um, the president of my college encouraged me to... to the president of Spelman. Mm-hmm, the okay. president of Spelman encouraged me to apply at Harvard and I tell him I didn't want to go because it was too cold. And he threatened to call my dad. Don't go uh, to Harvard. It's too it's cold. It's too cold. I'm calling your daddy. Okay. <laughs> he said, I'm going to call your dad. <laughs> my mom had just died. And so he knew that I was kind of in, you know, still dealing with that. I mean, literally, she died two weeks before I started my senior year in college. And so this was the fall, you know, of course, that you have to apply. So I was still kind of dealing with that. And I guess he figured that I really wasn't thinking straight. So he was going to call my father and get him to encourage me to see things in the right light. Mm. So I did apply, but you know, I, New York, being in New York was my first love. Right. Um, but I did get into, I got into NYU first, uh, I got into Georgetown first, mm-hmm. um, then NYU and then Harvard. 
And the city, the woman who was the city attorney of Atlanta at the time was a Harvard Law graduate. So they called her and said, hey, you know, talk Melanie into coming to Harvard. And she did. Um, and she served as my mentor for a long time. And I haven't, I haven't turned back. But one thing that I knew, Jenny, is that in going to law school, one of the reasons I decided to go was because I knew that all the things that I wanted to do, um, being a lawyer would set the stage. I wasn't one of those people that said, okay, I'm gonna do one thing for 40 years. I knew from the beginning I wasn't gonna do that. So my trajectory and my profession mirrors what I planned. You know, I planned to kind of work in each area for about five to seven years, and that's pretty much what I've done. Um, the only thing that was on my list, um, the only two things that were on my list when I was growing up that I have not done professionally, um, I want to own a restaurant and a shoe store. You still want to own the restaurant and the shoe store? Mm -hmm. But I've done okay. everything else. You heard it here, folks. All right, be looking for those <laughs> things. So you just talked about a, a number of mm -hmm. intersections of, of thought, intersections of decisions, mm -hmm. intersections of people, mm -hmm. and mentors. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So mom and your judge mm -hmm. mentor were mm -hmm. probably you know helping you move toward that direction mm -hmm. but i love what you said about i hadn't gone to law school just to be a lawyer right it was setting the stage for something else so right. let's talk about an, another intersection mm -hmm. that happened because clearly you graduated from law school mm -hmm. at harvard and practice law first tell me about the intersection of um when you moved from doing law, how mm -hmm. you did that, mm -hmm. and moving into your current lane. Right. And if you were going to name that intersection, what would the street signs at that intersection be called? Um, dreams and preparation. She didn't even flinch with that question. Mm -hmm. Dreams mm -hmm. and preparation mm -hmm. at the intersection of that. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about now, catapult us into where you are now mm -hmm. with Veritas Management Group. Mm -hmm. um, you are the founder mm -hmm. and CEO. Mm -hmm. So I imagine you didn't come in with 50 people with you. How did you start to move from the law background mm -hmm. into business? You, obviously, always a strong interest. Right. Tell, us about, tell us about that and the leadership um, part of starting sure. that company. Sure. Well, it was an exciting time. I knew that I wanted to go into business. I wasn't quite sure what business I wanted to go into. So before you do shoes and restaurants. Right. Right. Exactly. So this is the preliminary exactly. to that. Exactly. Got it. And someone asked me the other day, was I risk averse? And I said, absolutely. I said, if you look at my background, you would think that I'm not. Um, but actually, I take safe risk. Okay. Um, going to Spelman, not big of a risk. Going to Harvard Getting Law School. Getting kidnapped, not that big a risk. Right, Got right, it. right, right. Mm -hmm. um, and so the, the risk averse part is when I decided to leave, I decided to start a company very much like the company I was working for. So I kind of duplicated their business model. Um, and the owners and the officers in the company were very good to me. And they were my role models while I was working there. Um, I don't think they knew exactly what they were doing in terms of planting that seed. Um, but they planted some great seeds, and they were great role models for me. Um, and they, you know, they allowed me to kind of go behind the curtain, open the hood, if you will, and see a little bit about how they became successful and some of the decisions that led to their ultimate success. Um, what I did not know at the time um, was the intersection of being neurodiverse, which I am. I have um, dyslexia and ADHD, and it was undiagnosed. It was undiagnosed until I was 34. Um, so you already <clears throat> gone to law school, graduated mm -hmm. from Spelman, graduated from Harvard, and then you find out mm -hmm. 
that you had dyslexia. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Keep going. How so, that's an amazing story. Well, and, and and it's amazing because when I looked back and I was able to put all the pieces together and connect the dots, there were a lot of aha moments. Um, I didn't pass first grade because I couldn't read and I couldn't do math. Um, and by the grace of God, my two sisters were extremely smart and my mother was very aggressive and very assertive. And so they made an agreement with the school, with the elementary school, that I could go to the second grade if I had a tutor all summer. And so I think during that summer, I don't really think that I learned a, a technique for learning how to read. I just said to myself, okay, my dad dropped me off here and he dropped my sisters off at the bus going to Girl Scout camp. Mm-hmm. This is not going to be my whole summer. Right. So I think I'm I, not missing I, camp. I'm, I'm not, not missing, missing all camp the, the whole summer. Right. So I think I really just kind of figured it out. I figured out, I think I, I started memorizing. Mm-hmm. I really can't tell you how I learned how to read. Um, but I, 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 I did enough so that I could get to the second grade. And from that point on, I think that was my, the beginning of my figuring things out. If the path was not easy or the path was not clear for me, but it was something that I wanted. So I may not have gotten there the same way that other people got there, but I would get there and I would just figure it out. And so school was not easy for me, um, but I quickly learned how to identify my strengths and really kind of overcompensate in those um, because there were some things like math. I mean, I had to take math, right? Uh, you, can't, you can't go through school without taking math. Um, the only math class that I did well in in school was geometry, and that's because it's not, it's not. You see the design. You see the. Right. And it's words and things like that. Mm. Um, and so I just learned how to maneuver and make sure that I stacked my, my deck with things that, um, would overcompensate. And that was the story of my life, overcompensating. When I took the bar, if everyone else was told, recommended to do 200 practice questions, I did 400. And so for most of my life. Since I was undiagnosed, that's how I attacked life, just overcompensate. So when I was diagnosed at 34, since I finished school, um, the psychologist I was working with said, well, let's focus on how you better manage your career. So fast forward to my business, um, you know, I had learned how to kind of stay away from certain things Mm -hmm. if I don't feel like I did, you know, did them well. And numbers obviously was one of them. Uh, But you can't run a business if you don't know numbers and you're not comfortable with numbers. And I found that out the hard way. Um, I thought that I could, you know, let my CPA and my bookkeeper and, and all that make decisions and do all the financial stuff. And I quickly learned that that's not true. So I had to use my CPA as a coach and use some other people as a coach to really learn financials and how they connect to my business and, you know, what kind of decisions I should make using my financials. Um, and that's why right now I am such a champion of neurodiversity um, because I don't want anyone else to suffer in silence like I did. Let's talk to our studio audience. Okay. We know that there's probably a lot of people out there. In fact, mm-hmm. we have another common friend that we grew up in military with who mm-hmm. also found out mm-hmm. he had dyslexia mm-hmm. while he's doing his dissertation for mm-hmm. his doctor. So there's so much that we do not know. Right. Um, what do our audience is typically full of entrepreneurs, okay. leaders, and leaders of leaders. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what we do. It's what you do. Mm-hmm. How? What do we need to know both from, uh, uh, clearly, we are always looking for people on the Hey Genius Show that mm-hmm. clearly are geniuses, mm-hmm. that, that you're telling us about your genius already. How do you pull out the genius in others? How do you help either folks that work with you mm-hmm. or people that are your clients or people that we don't know yet um, as leaders? How are we aware of 
how to address neurodiversity in ourselves and in others and people that report to us and people that we're trying to work with. Ideas for for people, what do we need to be having our antenna up about? Sure. So I think the first thing is to understand that neurodiversity does not mean that someone is, you know, un- unca- incapable of achieving. Clearly. Uh, <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> um, a couple of studies, I'll just throw out some statistics. Mm-hmm. Um, Ernst Young did a study about two years ago, and they, they did a study of neurotypical and neurodiverse people, and they found that the teams that had neurodiverse people typically um, scored better in innovation. Um, because we think outside the box. Okay. And so a neurodiverse person on your team could be the missing puzzle piece that you need to kind of break through those, um, you know, those cycles on, uh, that you have thought all the ideas that your team could come up with, and a neurodiverse person might come in and look at it differently. So the, so genius, it could would be, be they, mm-hmm. the genius would be that they're, they're coming in from a different perspective, mm-hmm. with a different mindset, perhaps with different questions, to right. move the rest of the, the term you used was... Neuro neurodiversity, neurotypical. So neurotypical. neurotypical. So it helps people shift out, get into a different change out of their normal constructs. We right. talk a lot about um, complementary constru- mm-hmm. contradictory constructs, mm-hmm. things that don't make sense together. Right. Intersections turning into complementary concepts, mm-hmm. and that usually can come from a lot of different ways. Sometimes just asking questions, but different types of people looking at the same thing right together so that's exactly what you're talking exactly. about here exactly another thing that we found is that especially since covid a lot of large companies like amazon and some other companies are actually aggressively and intentionally seeking neurodiverse staff members particularly people with autism so stanford has a special program for people with autism um, and so as we see them be more integrated into the corporate fiber we'll see things that are you know that that are a little bit more flexible um, HR practices will be a little bit more flexible to support um, the population as we integrate more into the workforce. So I'll drop a few other things. Oftentimes in the past, since the corporate arena probably was not the arena that was the most welcoming for neurodiverse folks, right. you see a lot of neurodiverse people that start businesses. Up to about 35% of entrepreneurs have ADD or dyslexia. I can, I can believe it because you need to have um, energy in a lot of different directions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that sometimes looks like unfocused. In fact, it may be bringing, though, lots of different focused right. areas together. Right, exactly. Thus, why we're all entrepreneurs. You know, exactly. So that is, um, that is so interesting. Mm-hmm. And now because there are more studies on it, and maybe we're just more aware. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so if we are leaders... In our companies, mm-hmm. we are looking for folks that might bring that different type of innovation, right. might bring that, that something different to the table. Exactly. So talk about how this plays out in your company. So in Veritas, both in the work that you do mm-hmm. and also talk about when you started your company and, and where you are now. You've been sure. in business how long as Veritas? So 2016, so we'll be celebrating seven years in a few months. Wow, seven years. That's yes. a great number yes. for an entrepreneur. Exactly. And you start out with a, f- a few people yeah, two. or one. Well, or how it did it begin? Myself and one other employee Okay. Um, that we started out with. And now we're at 90 people in four different countries. I'm sorry. We just went from <laughs> zero to 90 uh-huh. different, in four different countries, mm-hmm. 90 people. Yes. 
in a little bit of time. And what do our 90 Veritas amazing people do, geniuses well, do? We are a management consulting company and we've had, we have different service areas. Um, because we were in Atlanta um, and because I started supporting the CDC with the company that I used to work with, that was my first client. CDC. CDC, the Center, Center for, for Disease, Disease Control. Control and Prevention. Okay. Exactly. So a lot of what we do is in support of public health. Um, so important. Wow. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Now I see Absolutely. why you survived the pan. <laughs> you were busier than any of us, right? <laughs> it was, yeah, I was yeah. kind of busy during that time. Um, and because of the pandemic, we really couldn't travel during that time. We were at a, a particular growth stage. So we said, well, let's just double down and really figure out how we can provide more support to, uh, to the CDC. We got an opportunity because of my sister being our corporate chaplain. We got an opportunity to also provide some religious services support to the military community. So you, you, you've got one sister we've already talked about. Mm -hmm. Now you've got another sister who is a corporate chaplain. Yes. Wow. So clearly I know her, but tell the uh -huh. studio audience about Pamela. So Pamela is an ordained minister mm -hmm. um, and a licensed chaplain. And so she came on board to be our corporate chaplain. We didn't really know what that was going to look like. I had one idea and she had another idea that she wanted to basically minister more toward the employees and the staff members. Yeah, and I so wanted important. her to kind of go out and talk about ethics um, in business. That's not really who she is. And so okay. um, one of our partners said, well, hey, you know, if she's, if she's your corporate chaplain, why don't you all look at these religious services contracts in the military? Um, so she found that niche. And now we have five contracts with the, um, with the Army and the Air Force to support the warfighters and their families from a religious standpoint. That is amazing. Um, yeah, it's a very small part of our business, but it's a very important part. Um, well, it is. And you and you obviously, with Veritas, look for intersections. Absolutely. Everything you have said mm -hmm. has been about, well, we had this connection, mm -hmm. so we looked for this intersection. Right. And then what an interesting niche with religious services for the military. Right. But that you even... Beyond that she is your sister, mm -hmm. where did the thought come from of even, because not, not a lot of companies have right. a corporate chaplain. So well, how you did know, you develop that? I think it comes from, and I was thinking about this in terms of intersectionality, and I was mm -hmm. thinking about how my father was a minister and my mother was a nurse. Mm -hmm. So obviously that combination, you know, I have a heart. I serve with a heart. I leave right. with a heart. And so... Um, and I also want to make sure that we are, you know, we're in good with God. So, yes. um, but having, this, having the strong faith piece, I don't know how you're an entrepreneur without that. But I know, exactly, it, exactly. It but I always without. think about that. Mm -hmm. And I think about, um, you know, from the, from the medical, public health, health side, my mom and my dad, not only was he a minister, but he worked at Central State Hospital, which serviced people that were um, suffering from mental illness. So that compassion um, is something that runs very strong. Um, in our family, and it runs very strong in my leadership style. Um, people tell me that I'm a cheerleader as a leader, and that comes directly from my dad being a minister. Um, and so, once again, all those intersections. And so, like I said, I had a different notion of where the faith and business piece was going to go, um, and Pamela has taken it in a you know completely different um, road. And I'm fine as an entrepreneur. If it's making money, sounds good to me. Let's go. Complimentary concept. Absolutely. Um, just for for the audience that may not know, Central State Hospital um, was in Milledgeville, Georgia, and at the time that we moved there, 12,000 mm -hmm. 12, patients. So it served a huge community. And so that is where we grew up mm -hmm. um, basically 
living there and, mm -hmm. and interacting, and both of our dads were chaplains in that um, in mental health. And mm -hmm. so that has been um, the intersection of you know your parents raising you mm -hmm. in that direction. Um, and so what I'm continuing to hear is those decisions of unlikely things coming mm -hmm. together, the contradictory constructs, right, into something very complementary. So now, in, as your company has grown, mm -hmm. what are, um, why would somebody call Veritas? We got it, the CDC, we can't all mm -hmm. compete with that you know, large client, but mm -hmm. why would someone look for your company? How do you help people with that entrepreneurial spirit? Sure. So basically, and serving with heart, <laughs> right? So when our customers come to us and we get calls because people have heard, people have heard that we produce superior products. That because of our collective experience um, and familiarity with public health and mm -hmm. with all the different other areas, they know that they're going to get somebody who understands the environment and that can develop solutions. Uh, solutions made simple is one of our taglines. Um, that we can develop solutions that are cost effective and that really are customized. To, um, to solve their problems. So that's really why people call us. And we're, and we're nice to work with, I think. And they're fun people, right? So <laughs> it, it, I come in with a, with a problem that mm -hmm. is related to um, public health, health mm -hmm. equity, et cetera. You help me kind of figure out how to go Absolutely. with that. Absolutely. Um, small companies, large companies, Government, all in between. I know the government you've mentioned, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. so. and um, large corporations. We work with universities. We work with medical institutions. We work with large non national nonprofits. Um, so we we envision that we will continue down that road. But more than likely, the government will will always be the predominant uh, force in our customer mix. Got it. Mm -hmm. Got it. How um how in the world at this point did the DJ reporter <laughs> gal now where did even those dreams you said you were at the intersection mm -hmm. of of dreams and um preparation preparation so when you were the reporter dj person mm -hmm. but you moved through all those different parts of your life mm -hmm. and now what would you call your role now i get it you're founder and ceo mm -hmm. but what is what is the role as leader that you I'm going to ask you two, two ways. Mm -hmm. What is the role that you spend the most time in as leader? Mm -hmm. You may define that any way you like. Mm -hmm. And the other side of that question is going to be, of all the things you do as founder and CEO of Veritas, what do you love, 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 love okay. to do? Sure. So the thing that I spend most of my time doing mm -hmm. is making those strategic decisions. You know, which direction are we going in? Um, meeting with partners, kind of establishing those relationships, and then I'm fortunate enough to have enough to have other people on my team that can kind of take it from there. But that's my role, as you said. I know a lot of people. Great leader. Been in this okay. industry for a long time, so bringing people together and understanding what their problems are, um, but not at a very deep level. That is one of the things that I spend a lot of my time, my days doing. Um, what do I love? I love the business development. Um, it's networking. It's really helping to understand a problem and kind of putting together the right team. Um, I also like the fact that I have a platform. So um, two years ago, a friend of mine asked me to be part of an anthology, a book anthology, and the title of the book is Business Success Secrets. And we were, we were presented with the challenge of 
answering these questions that really talked about how did you become successful as an entrepreneur? What was that defining moment? Like you said, what was that intersection? And so the title of, of, of my chapter was from ADD to Harvard. And I just talked about how, you know, I went from not being able to pass first grade to graduating from Harvard, all without even knowing that I had dyslexia and ADD that had such a profound impact on my life that I didn't even know. And so those challenges and overcoming those challenges, that's what really helped me to be successful in those early years of my business. Um, I thought that when I quit my, when I quit the company that I was working for before, I quit at that particular time because I thought I was in the process of buying another company. Um, but the wool got pulled from under me with that company and I had to make a decision. You know, are you going to go back and ask for your job back or are you going to try and make this work? And I just prayed about it and I just knew it was time for me to move on. Those folks have been great to me. Um, still have a very good relationship with them now, um, but it was time for me to move on. And so I took that leap um, and here I am today. You took a number of leaps. You took some brave leaps. Yeah. You were at the intersection of dreams and preparation. You've used wanting to be a DJ mm -hmm. to weave in. What I heard you say about DJ was you liked, and everything else that you've said, you like that connection. How do we make something flow? Mm -hmm. How do we make these things go together mm -hmm. that might not make sense? Right. Being a reporter. Um, and you also, I don't know if it's relied heavily on, but learned so much from all the mentors in your life. Absolutely. And what I appreciate so much is how much those still play mm -hmm. in the decisions you make now. Absolutely. And that is a strong leader. Okay, I've got one little quick question. Sure. Ten seconds. Okay. What's your hidden genius that we don't know about Melanie Cook? Um, I would say my hidden genius is being humble. Humility being is definitely my superpower. And, and, and she knows yet the power of it. Melanie Cook, founder and CEO of Veritas Management Group, former... DJ, soon-to-be <laughs> shoe store owner. You will be able to read in our show notes of the Hey Genius Show all about Melanie and how to get in touch with her and her company in all the different directions. As always, I am humbled with all my guests that sit on this podcast couch, and I am so excited to hear and learn about even people that I know. There's a lot I didn't know today. <laughs> so I encourage you to have those genius conversations with people out there. Read the show notes. And as always, we want you to please like, comment, and subscribe and follow the Hey Genius Show. We're here every Thursday and we'll look forward to seeing you. Bye, geniuses. Thank you. I invite you to go to one of the restaurants of Mad Hospitality, the Dining Room, Mad Taco, the Sinclair, Heart and Crown, or maybe you just need a little bite from the Patisserie on Main, the French Bakery. Mad Hospitality has a group of restaurants that you will not want to miss.